finally making sure the station stays black. Discussing all the issues in our community. We're hosting black and brown and others find unity. So let's talk about it. Maybe we can improve it. Digital underground, always down with the moon. Come on. So we tune in. The first things first with the queen of black talk radio. Dominique to Prima. Go, sis. I'm Dominique DePrima, and this show is called First Things First, and my first thing every day, especially this time of year, giving thanksgiving praise and asking for blessings from God, asking for the blessings of the ancestors and the elders and getting it going. Let's talk about it, what's going on. We got a lot going on. Typically, the first hour, we do left coast. What's happening over here in the Pacific side? Hour two, we go national, international, and beyond. And in the third hour, we do a deep dive with a person of interest or a hot topic. Today, that person is Congresswoman uh, Barbara Lee, who is running for U.S. Senate, as you well know. And she will join us to uh, give us the scoop on why we, I guess, why we should elect her. And it's always great to talk to Congresswoman Lee. I am inviting you in every hour, as usual, 800-920-1580, 800-920-1580. And that is the same number you will follow. Uh, if you want to get the app, just type in KBLA 1580. Wherever you get your apps, boom, yellow and black, like the mic flag pops up, and you just download it. You can listen to us on your phone anywhere in the world. By the way, um, KBLA 1580 is also the address on all social media, including YouTube, where I am streaming right, right now. So how y'all doing? It is a consequential week. You know, we've got the winter solstice, the longest night of the year, getting ready for Xmas, Kwanzaa, uh, all the things, a new year. So I hope you are good. Mercury is in retrograde. And of course, we'll hear from Sahara Ali with our Mindful Monday to get our minds right for the week in the second hour. So we got a lot going on and a lot of good things. And I'm excited to welcome into the conversation this morning uh, on the left coast side of town. He is a uh, commissioner uh, um, with the... um, Reparations Advisory Commission, actually, um, here in the city of Los Angeles. President and CEO of New World Education, which is an education, professional development, and community planning consulting organization, which works on educational and community empowerment. Uh, Mandela Kaisi, welcome. Thank you for having me, Dominique. Uh, happy to join you this morning. Yeah, happy to have you on. Um this is, you know, this is a, a labor of love. I know uh, you are also an activist aside from your your business portfolio. So tell me about your own journey to making reparations a priority uh, for you as, as an activist. Uh, yeah, well, you know, I've, I've been uh, involved in the community since uh, my freshman year of college, uh, was a member of uh, the the Black Student Union, uh, we call it the Black Student Alliance there, and um, continue to uh, be involved in a number of community service activities, 
uh, got involved with uh, some statewide black student organizing, uh, also some national uh, black student organizing. Matter of fact, in my national black student organizing, I uh, engaged uh, your brother, uh, Raz Baraka. We're good friends. Uh, we worked together over the years. Awesome. Um, I got involved at the community level in uh, gang truce efforts, uh, worked with uh, Akila Shirelles and others, uh, brought together uh, black student leaders with uh, some of our uh, street organizers who were uh, working on peace, uh, doing peace work uh, in the late 80s, um, was involved with an organization called the New African People's Organization for a time while they had an L.A. chapter here. And uh, just have continued to be involved, uh, you know, o- over the years as I've grown, I've, I've channeled a lot of my efforts around education, advocacy, and community development advocacy, which is uh, consistent with uh, the consulting work that I do. Um, earn, earn my uh, uh, bachelor's and master's degree uh, at UCLA in uh, economic, economics as an undergrad, economic development as a graduate student, and just, uh, you know, kind of continue to uh, engage those issues primarily, uh, both uh, as an activist and, and professionally. Right, and so it's a little confusing, I think, for people that are just casually following what's happening with reparations. But we have movement going on at this point in history on the city mm-hmm. level, some counties, mm-hmm. states, and uh, even federally and even in, in private uh private business are starting to have those conversations as well as institutions like educational institutions. So tell mm-hmm. me how you see what you guys are doing here in Los Angeles, because this is a city level commission. Right, right. And, you know, I like to think about it, uh, Dominique, uh, very um, connected, right? So there, as you, as you mentioned, there are these equity efforts that are going on in a number of institutions um uh those equity ef- efforts kind of preceded our work with the uh LA Reparations Advisory Commission and of course the we're following the work of the state task force um but the way i see it is that we have an opportunity on a on a lot of levels as black angelinos um, we're one of the few populations in the country especially among major cities where this issue is being engaged at every level uh the city commission as well as the state task force and um, so that gives us an opportunity to, you know, kind of set the tone for the rest of the nation in terms of what reparations can look like, what a reparations study and conversation can look like, and ultimately what a reparations program can look like. Uh, and as I said, I look at things as very connected, and I think uh, the Reparations Commission gives us another frame, another platform to engage, you know, the ongoing systemic uh, inequalities and uh systemic racism that we've been dealing with uh, throughout our history in this country. And the equity efforts, you know, kind of look at uh, current, you know, manifestations, current disproportionalities. But I think the reparations conversations gives, gives us a lot, an opportunity to look at the uh, historic roots of, and the systemic roots of some of the inequities that we see today and hopefully um, take, our, take our efforts to, a, to another level. It's one thing to kind of address what some of these harms and some of these disproportionate impacts look like uh, in the current environment. But it's another thing to, to be able to trace them systemically and to be really transformative in terms of uh, how we address them, uh, you know, with the, with the eye towards addressing them at their roots, right, at their systemic roots. So 
Um, for Black Angelinos, I think it's an opportunity to participate in this process, to take ownership of the process, really is what the message that uh, I and others on our commission have been sharing as we've been talking with groups and organizations across the city to take ownership of this issue, uh, to uh, own it for ourselves, uh, you know, define it for ourselves, uh, make it our mission to ensure that we carry this thing through uh, to to its fruition. And then I think uh, in engaging it at the local level, it prepares us also to participate as a, you know, uh, uh, a significant group in both in the state conversation because we represent a large proportion of the state's black population and also to participate at the national level as as folks continue to uh, push that effort forward uh, i'm hoping we're hoping that black angelinos are positioned to kind of uh lead in those spaces uh by actually you know Maybe we can look at this as kind of uh, our initial foray into this conversation. We're studying it. We're we're re-understanding what reparations is all about. We're re-understanding uh, the conditions uh, in which we've been living, and then we use that not only to begin to address those at, in the city of Los Angeles in terms of the role that the city and its various departments may have played or been complicit in over the years, but to then prepare ourselves to to uh, participate in that state conversation that's unfolding right now and ultimately at the national level. And how are you, um, how are you feeling about where we are? I mean, in terms of momentum, but also in terms of the process, because I know for example, here in Los Angeles is a critical window of opportunity. Now we, with the survey, I, I went and took it online. Um, and we Thank have, you. I think till the, you're welcome. <laughs> I think we have until the rest of, uh, of the rest of the month yeah. and that's it. And yeah. sometimes, yeah. you know, we want to talk on amongst ourselves, talk at the barbershop, talk on the radio, but we don't right. actually make the moves to manifest right. that momentum in some real way. So, so how yeah. are you feeling about that? Um, I, you know, I, I'm feeling encouraged, but it is, um, a little challenging. I think, uh, I was explaining to someone yesterday, Dominique, that I think the reality is that black people have, uh, black Angelinos have what one could call a certain level of reasonable doubt, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's been a long time. It's reasonable doubt, right? And so I embrace that and embrace the challenge of really, um, convincing, uh, our folks that, this is a worthwhile effort. And the way I've explained it to folks is that, uh, you know, we're asking the question, is it really going to happen? And, and, uh, and I've shared with people on many occasions that if we uh, are waiting to see if it will happen, then what we expect to happen will most likely happen, right? Which is nothing, right? If we're waiting, right? But if we engage it and we take ownership of it, then that's what gives us the best chance to ensure that something something happens. So, uh, to answer your question directly, you know, it's been a little challenging, you know, just because we're working through that reasonable doubt. But I have seen momentum picking up in terms of people embracing the opportunity, uh, committing to taking the survey, uh, uh, committing to sharing the survey with their with their families. You know, we've had folks in our, some of our recent uh, meetings suggest that this should be a holiday activity, right? When the I families get together and everyone, you know, take the survey together. Uh, you know, my wife and I have talked about the fact that our parents will probably need, you know, to kind of work them through the survey if you can't yeah. get them <laughs> in a place where they can take, you know, and, and the city has been has been amazing. Uh, you know, the, the city uh, uh, department that we work with under Capri Maddox and, um, you know, her staff uh, currently uh, Diamond James. 
uh, her predecessor, uh, David. David's last name is escaping me right now, but I'll, I'll find it. Uh, they've been incredible uh, because, you know, we did, really did push this uh, survey idea. We pushed it from the commission, right? So mm. we talked about doing public engagements, and we've, you know, we've engaged over 30-plus uh, uh, organizations. We've visited and spoken with them as well, including the events that we've held in person. We visited a lot of organizations, you know, neighborhood councils, uh, church groups, and, we, you know, we're committed to uh, engaging more. It's so, David uh, Price, it's by the way. Excuse me? <laughs> David Price is the name you were looking for. David Price. Thank you, David. I, you know, I, I, I'm remiss on that, and I appreciate you for filling it in. Well, David he's been on the show is why. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just from the start, he uh, uh, took up our, our challenge to engage in these public uh, uh, events, uh, to put the survey together, to roll out the survey. Uh, Diamond and her team have done, you know, a, a good number, 10-plus. Uh, uh, virtual uh, surveys where they've actually had people online walking them through the survey, talking them through the survey for a couple of hours, right? So we put in a lot of work. Uh, we would like to have had a greater return at this point, but we're hoping for a big rush as we go into the end of the year. Yes. Uh, folks are going on a holiday. Folks have some time. So really appreciate how you've engaged. You know, this is the second time in Oh, since the weekend, you know, you bookended the weekend with this. Uh, so we really appreciate that. Absolutely. Uh, giving us an opportunity to talk about it. And when you say a couple hours, you're talking about more than one person. It did not take a couple hours. It took like maybe no, no, 20, no. 30 it, minutes, if that. And honestly, it's not like a test where you have to have a right answer. It's your experience in L.A., your family's experience in, you know, in old time L.A., if you've been around that long and your and your experience Anytime you've been in L.A., uh, if you've lived here ever or live here now uh, in, in Los Angeles, then you can just go and fill it out. It's blackexperiencela.com, right? Yes, yes. And thank you for uh, making that clarification around the time. I also want to lift up another point that you, you made that I appreciate, uh, that if you've ever lived in the city of Los Angeles, you know, that was a decision that we made, understanding that a lot of these harms and impacts have led to folks, you know, being pushed out of the city. So right. we want to make sure that folks who've ever lived in the city of Los Angeles can participate in this. So uh, folks can share it widely with their family who, moved, who may have moved out of the area. Manla Kaise is my guest, and you're welcome in 800-920-1580. This is KBLA Talk 1580, 40 acres and a mic. She's reclaiming her time on KBLA Talk 1580. More First Things First with Dominic DePrima when we come forward. Your ancestors' favorite radio station. Radio station. And your favorite morning show host. Let's get back to Dominique DePrima right now. Right now. Right now. And uh, we are talking uh, what's going on in L.A., Left Coast. You are welcome in 800-920-1580. 800-920-1580. We've been on a lot of conversation about reparations on this show Uh we do Freedman Fridays every Friday now in the second hour of the show where we have different people in the space who are doing the work, uh, who have various ideas, theories, projects, and because I want us to be well-versed, right? And I feel like part of a successful reparations campaigns on every level, state, local, county, whatever it might be, uh, especially the federal, is the understanding of it, the conversation being not an outlier anymore. So what do you think that, it just based on your conversations, your work as a commissioner, what do you think we are not getting about reparations as far as um, our community, black folks? 
Yeah, that's a good, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I think really what we're not getting is what we can generally, Dominique, expect uh, our folks to not get. And that is just uh, the historical foundation uh, for reparations. The fact that this is something that has been raised, you know, a number of times over the course of our history and that it has had some, uh, some you know, different levels of traction at different times. And probably this is um, without question the highest point uh, that it's been. But I think it's just the, the historical foundation from it, the, the, the logic of it, the fact that, you know, reparations is something that is a uh, human rights uh, issue, that it has uh, a foundation in human rights law. You had uh, Camila Moore talking about it uh, from the legal standpoint last week. And so I just think uh, just understanding that there is a, a, a legal grounding for it, that there is a foundation for it, that it's something that has happened around the world and that uh, the United Nations actually passed a resolution in, in favor of reparations for uh, the descendants of African-American slaves. So I think that, um, you, you know, just that, that historical grounding. And it's not taught in our schools, Dominique, and there's a lot of, uh, mis- you know, there's so much miseducation and, uh, you know, uh, you know, negative narratives around the African American condition, uh, lack of uh, awareness of just our our path to citizenship. Uh, you know, and folks look at at slavery as having been so long ago, when in fact it's just you know a few generations ago for many of us that, that there were folks who uh, had experienced slavery. And then when you talk about the Jim Crow area era, then you're talking about even a more recent um, manifestation. And I think most folks don't even realize that uh, immediately after slavery, you know, the series of Jim Crow laws and conditions that were swept across the country, you know, were designed to recreate the conditions of of slavery for African-Americans. You know, our our inability to have freedom of movement, our inability to work and be independent. Uh, You know, a lot of these laws were put into place, you know, immediately after slavery at 10 years of reconstruction. And then you had, you know, a turn uh, back to the past in terms of the laws and and, and local, you know, local state and federal laws and policies um, that under which uh, African-Americans were forced to live. So I think we can expect to not really know the history. And so we have to, you know, be prepared when we're talking to our folks to uh, revisit that history and to do a better job of making sure that we pass down from generation to generation uh, many of the things that, you know, sometimes in our family we've made a commitment to forget, right? Because it's just the mm. history is just so painful. Folks don't share it, you know. So um, we have to be prepared to dig into those conversations. We have to be prepared to do some family healing around it. I mean, we've had some folks really break down on their public testimony around this when they're reminded of things that they're parents or grandparents experiences uh, that they told them about that they many of them haven't shared them with their children just because of the painful nature of them uh so i think i think most of what we're experiencing with black folks dominique what i've encouraged us is to expect it right and so part of the reparations effort should be a rigorous uh education effort i really uh, want to appeal since you raised that question, to our educators. I think all of our teachers, uh, educators, school administrators, folks working with young people in other uh, extracurricular educational spaces need to be embracing this moment and looking at this as an opportunity for folks to have a better understanding of who they are, 
uh, where we are, where we've been in this country, and for folks to understand uh, the opportunity, uh, the the reasonable uh, expectation we should have that uh, our families would have an opportunity to be on equal footing as uh, citizens in this nation, because that's really what it comes down to. You know, coming out of slavery, looking at intergenerational wealth, you know, most of our families have just never had the opportunity to build it. And we certainly have not had the opportunity that's been afforded to most other citizens in the United States. So I think just that historical grounding is something that we really got to dig into and we have to expect to have to deal with that. Again, that's part of the reason why, you know, what you're doing with the Freedman Fridays is so important because, as you say, people have to be educated about it. Folks need the information. And uh, it's been denied for so long. You know, we got folks uh, mandating now that it can't be taught, right? So... Uh, I think we have to expect those challenges uh, as we engage our folks in this conversation. When uh, when you talk about the historical basis and the legal basis, do you view do you view this as a debt? Do you view it as an unfulfilled contract, a moral obligation? Because you know, I think there's also this perception that it's a handout. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I think every one of the frames that you use, you know, apply. Uh, it certainly is um, a, a contract in, in the sense that uh, coming out of slavery, uh, our families, you know, those who came before us uh, were owed uh, the opportunity to, to be full citizens, right? To have, uh, you know, the basic uh, uh, opportunities of what folks would call, you know, the 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 opportunity to be uh, free and 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 you know uh, happy you know and and be able to be fulfilled as, as citizens in this nation our folks uh, life liber- life liberty and the pursuit of happiness is what I was searching for there and, <laughs> and you know we we just didn't have even the basic foundation to kind of pursue that then when you look at over a hundred years there's there's a there's a debt there that kind of accumulates over time you know how much time has this opportunity to kind of reset, you know, I mean, you, we could talk about the debt as it relates to our lost, uh, uh, labor, you know, the lost compensation for our labor over the 400 year period. And then we can talk about having been denied, you know, some form of, uh, uh, basic, um, economic foundation, land foundation, which most citizens were granted during that time, having been denied that basic foundation, uh, then you know the, the not having it over uh, uh, over a 100 year period of time that's an additional you know layer of that debt and it's an additional failure to fulfill the basic contract of uh, U.S. citizenship. You know Malcolm mm. X used to talk about needing to have a, a, a plebiscite like we we never were able to vote or or negotiate fully what our citizenship would look like that that should have been granted upon you know emancipation and i mean uh, and what, even what the things we did negotiate they never de- we were never delivered on i know you know around special order f- 15 they had those meetings with the pastors and one of the things we were offered promised was protection that protection still has not arrived you talk about that and more with city uh, reparations commissioner mandla kaise when we come forward after news traffic and sports on kbla talk 1580 
help you have a safe and relaxing holiday season. Mask up and stay safe. At KBLA Talk 1580, we've got a lot to talk about. And your voice is critical to all the conversation. Happy holidays. Holidays. Thanks for waking up with Dominique DePrima on KBLA Talk 1580. And we are talking with uh, activists and the president and CEO of New World Education. He's also uh, reparations advisory commissioner for the city of Los Angeles, Manila Caise. Before we uh, get you know deeper into this conversation, tell us how we can find you, find your company, follow the work that you're doing as an activist and a reparationist. I appreciate that, uh, Dominique. Uh, I'm on uh, several social media platforms, uh, LinkedIn, um, Monolakaise New World Education on LinkedIn. I have uh, Monolakaise uh, Voice of Empowerment and uh, New World Education Facebook pages. And I have uh, both uh, MK Moves the Crowd on uh, Instagram as well as my uh, New World Education. Uh, images um page on instagram so any of those you can find me i also have a website www.newworlded.com new world ed no spaces no caps.com uh and just doing a lot of work across the uh, pipeline educationally to facilitate um student achievement you know closing closing gaps um in retention at the collegiate level and uh, college access at the k-12 level also work with uh, a number of parent groups locally. I serve on the board of Cadre, which has been a pioneering organization uh, around uh, stopping the ending the school to prison pipeline. Uh, also work with a community coalition locally, uh, as among the community organizations that I work with. So I appreciate the opportunity to share uh, some of that. Yeah, it's a lot of stuff. Um, you got a lot, a lot, of, a lot going on, but that's good. I mean, we, you know, we got to stay busy um, when we're when we're working on uh, when we're working on you know liberation or elevation of our community. There's always a lot to do. What you you said something that kind of resonated because we've been talking a lot about reparations, but I guess I kind of went. I didn't do reparation one hundred and one. I kind of maybe assumed that our KBLA delegation is more sophisticated and we got into right away, we got into uh, the the legalities, um, what the deliverables, um, what we should understand. And maybe we, sh- we, we need to circle back to 101 um, because you talked about definitions of reparations. And I think the, the California task force work really kind of, open that can of worms because they had so many different areas that they covered in terms of areas where repair and restitution might be appropriate and how they could have different levels to it. And then the governor's comment that reparation is about more than just money um, really set it off. So why don't you give us your sort of functional definition? Yeah, that's a great, uh, great question because, you know, Serving on the commission, you get uh, you get to hear and get engaged around all of the different definitions that people might have reparations, right? But I think um, we've had some groundbreaking work uh, by a few folks. Uh, William Darity uh, is one uh, among them in terms of just laying out the the components of a reparations program. 
uh, including acknowledging, you know, the harm, you know, uh, step one, uh, you know, determining the depth of the harm and, uh, uh, you know, offering some compensation uh, or restitution uh, for the harm. And then, uh, you know, working with some of the reparationists on our commission, uh, Vice, Vice Chair uh, Kanza Jones-Muhammad in particular, just uh, being reminded of uh, the need to prevent the harm from being repeated in the future, you know, taking steps to, to uh, mitigate or eliminate the sources of the harm uh, going forward. So I think, um, you know, when we talk about the United Nations and how the United Nations engages the issue, uh, you know, they, they lay out a, a clear definition, you know, that when there are harms that are uh, committed against a, a group of people, um, that uh, bodies, uh, you know, take steps to make amends and, and to, uh, you know, really uh, facilitate satisfaction. I mean, really, the idea is that whatever is offered uh, should be to our satisfaction as those who are the, the victims of the harm. Uh, uh, apologies and memorials and institutional uh, reforms uh, can be a part of that. And, you know, I'm, I'm just reading now from the uh, UN definition, um, but uh, it, it starts with the acknowledgement of harm, uh, continues with some form of compensation. And I think that that piece of, uh, you know, putting in whatever steps uh, to mitigate and prevent the harm from being repeated is an important part of reparations as well. So we've been talking about this survey that we want y'all to take and, yeah, gather around the Christmas tree or the Kinara and just have family activity. It's actually kind of fun. Um, if, you know, we had someone brave enough to do it on the air, we could do it right now, 800-920-1580. It's really, it is really something um, manageable and, yeah, and, it's, it's and interesting. Yeah, Yeah. Go ahead. No, uh, uh, blackexperiencela.com is where folks can go to access the survey. And as Dominique has pointed out, you know, it's, it's a brief brief enough survey, maybe about 20 minutes it would take. Uh, uh, the questions are uh, pretty straightforward uh, in terms of your experiences in Los Angeles. Uh, it's anonymous, uh, should you choose uh, to take it anonymously. Um, and uh, again, you know, can be done very quickly. Our goal is to get 4,000 of them. And currently, uh, we're short of 1,000. Wow, right? that's we, crazy. That is so crazy. We've got 12 million people yeah. in this city, and we can't. Okay, well, I think that um, where I was going with this is, first of all, it's oh. it's not just anonymous, but it's not the, the information wouldn't be sold or turned over to law enforcement or right, go into right. kind of some kind of right. city data. I mean, it's anonymous anyway, so I'm not sure what information, but it's not, it's, it's, I'm, I know how we think. So if you would address some of those issues. No, 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 you're absolutely, you're absolutely right. It's safe. You know, we have an academic partner uh, in Cal State North, uh, Cal State Northridge is, uh, most of the folks there are with their Pan-African Studies Department. Uh, it will be secured, safe information. It will go to our study partner, and they will be the ones to analyze and, you know, lift out the usable data. Uh, but we got to make the case. Uh, right, Dominique? I think 
especially when you're talking about a specific body like the city of Los Angeles, right? You're really trying to trace the role that the city played. We know harms took place. We know discrimination took place. But the question here is what role did the city play with its policies and practices? Obviously, uh, the Los Angeles Police Department is one of the departments that one would would look at uh, off the bat. We've learned a lot over the past several years uh, with our homeless problem about housing policies and the role that the planning department has played with, with issues like redlining and housing discrimination over the years. But every city department uh, should be looked at. And what we're trying to get a sense of is what role the city played in some of the harms that folks have experienced. And then it's up to our study partners to kind of connect those dots uh, between experiences that folks uh, may have um undergone in their communities or in their homes or in their work or private life and how the city may have been complicit uh, with its policies in either supporting or in some cases failing to to prosecute uh, folks around those harms. So, uh, yeah. you know, that's that's what uh, we're looking at. And we need we need folks' stories. And again, I think it will be educational for each of our families to revisit those stories and make sure the generations of folks are aware of what those harms may have been and are able to see how their families have overcome uh, many of these challenges cool, 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 as well cool. as the ways in which folks are continue to be impacted. Okay, so we have a volunteer to take the survey live on the air, uh, <laughs> Commissioner Kaise. So we'll do that when we come forward. I, guess I, I think we can do it, right? Um, <laughs> Let's go and, and, and let folks get an understanding of what, what's going on. And hey, you get one more survey filled out. I also want to encourage us, because it's a great conversation starter. I mean, having take, done the survey myself, I'll tell you, if I was sitting there with my elders and I'm, you know, I'm saying, hey, you know, <laughs> big mama, did, did this happen? Cause I don't remember. I wasn't around then or, or what do you think about this? This is the answer I'm putting down. I think it would, it would create some amazing conversation about the, the personal history of your family and it's a great holiday activity. Plus also I know elders sometimes don't, you know, it's harder for them as far as the technology. If you could just go to blackexperiencela.com and kind of go, okay, grandma, you know, what do I put for your answer? And and just actually literally, uh, you know, do the technological part and let them give you the answers. That would be amazing too. There's got to be tons of elders that would love to have a chance to weigh in on the harm that has been caused by our city. I, I love, love, love the possibilities of that uh, every day of Kwanzaa because the deadline is the last day of this year. So, um, just real quick, because I want to make sure we we might not get all the way through this survey because we only, uh, you know, we, we're getting close to the hour, but at least we can get into it when we come forward. But what's next? What happens after you get these thousands of surveys that people are going to fill out between now and the 31st? What happens next? Yeah, what we'll be doing is we'll be going through a phase of, uh, starting early next year of really putting together um, our case and and developing a reparations program and we'll have public events again where people can weigh in on uh can take a look at what uh our study results look like because it's a combination of the study and the research that our academic partner at cal state northridge is engaging in and the survey results so those two pieces come together to make the case in terms of what role the city has played in the harms that we've experienced since its inception in 1925 right and from there Yes. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. I, no, and then from there we will uh, begin to develop a program 
and with some recommendations, and those recommendations will be passed on to the city of Los Angeles for uh, a decision um, early 2025. Commissioner Manla Kaise is my guest, your guest too, on KBLA Talk 1580. A safe place to go loud, loud, loud. A great place for progressive politics. KBLA Talk 1580. This is KBLA Talk 1580, where everybody is somebody and nobody is a stranger. You belong here. So we're talking with Commissioner Monla Kaise. He is on the uh, Reparations Advisory Commission for the city of Los Angeles. And um, Black Experience uh, LA.com is a place to go. Randy from Watts said he wanted to fill it out online uh, with us. And of course, we p- will not have time to go through the whole thing. But let's um, let's take a look. Does that work for you, Commissioner? Yeah, let's do it. And, um, you know, maybe we need to do this some more. I mean, I, you know, on other days, just because I feel like folks um, really, you know, we got to get on this. I mean, I, 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 it, I know you don't need more to do, but then again, look at it as a party game. Um, it's ridiculous that in a city, I know there's not that many black people, but in a city as big as Los Angeles, that we cannot... Um, that we cannot get 4,000 surveys. That's ridiculous. Okay, so ready, Randy? Hi, Randy. Good morning, Randy from Watts. Good morning, everybody. I am ready. Hope everybody had a good weekend. Let's do it. Okay, Commissioner, do you want me to take the lead or you want to do it? Uh, if, if you don't mind, I'm still, like, having taken it already, I haven't walked through it. Okay, let's do it. Uh, um, Let's see. Have you or mem- I mean, it first starts with the basics. Have you or mem- members of your family ever lived in the city of Los Angeles, Randy? Yes. Yes, no. Oh, you also have, I'm not sure. Do you currently live in the city of Los Angeles? Yes, no, I'm not yes. sure. Yes. Um, enter the major cross streets of your home address. <laughs> uh, so you just can't say Watts. No, that would be Evalon and Century Boulevard. Avalon and Century. Okay. Um, it says nine zero 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 three. Yeah. Yes. How many years did you live in the city of Los Angeles? Or have you lived? 70, huh? uh, 74 years. 74 years. 74. All right. In what year did your family move to the city of Los Angeles? Uh, Mom got here in 1940. Wow. Okay. Um, all right, um, Commissioner, anything you want to interject so far? Nope. Okay, how many decades has your family lived in the city of Los Angeles? Well, we got that's now we have to do math. That's what, 60, 84 years? Is that right? Yeah, right. So that would be yeah. at least eight decades. Eight. <laughs> that's a lot of decades, Randy. That's good. Oh, it says five or more decades. The most, your, your, your highest option is five or more. Which city council district do you live in? Nice. It, uh, yeah, that's um, and they and if you don't know, they actually have a link that you can click over and figure out which um, district you live in. What country were you born in, Randy? U.S. or other? Those are your two options. U.S. Right. Are you aware of any familial link you may have that includes persons enslaved as part of slavery in the United States? Yes or no? Yes. Oh, yeah, we talked about it on the air. We sure did. Um, okay. Uh, 
And now, what is your race? African, African-American, black is one option. Asian, Pacific Islander, Caucasian, Hispanic, Latino, Middle Eastern, Native, Native Indigenous, American, or other. African-American, black. That, you know, that's kind of a weird question, um, Commissioner Say, Is that, I mean, are you getting surveys from people that aren't black? Um, we have gotten very few, but yes. Wow, people are a trip. Okay, um, and yes, people are. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess you probably had to put that in there. Um, Randy, your age? I, yeah. I'm guessing 74 because you say you've been here 74 years in LA. Yes. Okay. Um, let's see. What is your gender identity? Uh, so there's a lot of options here, but um, why don't you tell me? <laughs> straight, straight male. That it, it didn't say what's your sexual orientation and your gender identity, male, man, assigned male at birth. That that's you. <laughs> what's highest level of education completed? High school diploma, less uh, than a high school diploma, GED, associates, bachelor's, master's, doctorate. High school diploma, two years of college. Okay, what do I put there, commissioner? College, college education. Okay. Yeah. All right, <clears throat> Randy. Um, I don't know if you want to say this on the air, but they want to know your income. Exceeds one hundred twenty thousand. Okay. <laughs> he wanted to say that on the air, so we go with it. Yeah, um, I work hard. I bet you do. <laughs> uh, I slow. Twenty years ago, that would be in the millions, Dominique. No doubt. Twenty years ago, that would be yeah. You know what, this doesn't even look like, um, this. now it's sounding like a dating app, but anyway, what is your relationship status? <laughs> Single cohabitation, domestic, not that I know anything about dating apps, because I haven't tried it yet, but I just want to imagine. Single cohabitation, domestic partner, married, widowed, divorced, other. Oh, married. All right, married. Um, now you got to get your wife to do this, too, after after you finish. Okay, now here comes the, well, I guess we'll call the, the nitty-gritty, the meat and potatoes, co- Commissioner. Did you or your, did your family, your blank, own land or a home in the city of Los Angeles? So it, and your options are parents, grandparents, great-grandparents. Yes, still own. Yes, no longer own. No, never owned. Unsure. Uh, yes, we own. Parents, grandparents, or great-grands? Uh, parents. Okay. Have you ever owned a home in the city of L.A.? Yes. Okay. Did you inherit a home in the city of L.A.? (laughs) Yes, I did. Do you currently own a home in the city of L.A.? Yes, I do. So all of this, um, it sounds like Commissioner is is really establishing, like, what our stake is here? Yes. How many? And and, and the, and the the basis for harm. Ah, okay. How many years have you owned or did you own a home in the city of L.A., Randy, from Watts? Uh, I've owned the house. We, we bought the house in 49, and I still live there now, so that's 75 years. Yeah, love that. And while living in the city of Los Angeles, I have experienced, you, you have two options here, housing instability or being unhoused. Have you experienced either of those things? No. All right. That's a blessing, huh? Okay, well, you know we're almost at the top of the hour, but we're gonna we're gonna push it all the way up. Miles, is that what we're doing? 
We're pushing this to the top of the hour. Okay. Um, State-sanctioned enslavement is the next section. Are you aware of members of your lineage being impacted by the following prior to 1865 while living in the city of Los Angeles? Enslaved in the state of California, fugitive slave laws, confiscated land or homes, seized assets, or racial violence. Now, this is going back before 1865 because the next section will ask you about modern times. Uh, No, not in the state of California. Okay, so we're no, 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 no on no on all of these. You have to go to another state for that. Of course, that's why a lot of us ended up here. Um, Exactly. (laughs) State-sanctioned discrimination. This is between 1866 and 1968. Did your family experience racially restrictive housing covenants, school segregation, lending discrimination, redlining, voter suppression, loss of voting rights, union denial, political disenfranchisement. Man, this sounds like a poem. Uh, Employment discrimination, confiscated land or homes, seized assets, personal property besides land, denied access to hospitals, denied access to quality health care, police discrimination and harassment, police brutality, or racial violence. Do any of those apply to you or your family Uh, in between um, 1866 and 1968, Randy? Yes. Okay. Well, can you tell me which ones? Uh, my mom. We were we were restricted by covenants okay. to only live on Central Avenue, which was outlined by a north line of a Tenth Street uh, to the West Alameda, far south is Slauson, as far as we could live. So we were restricted to live in a what we call east side or uh, central avenue okay i got news traffic and sports right now randy um and you know what uh if you don't mind holding on we can continue um you know i've got my mindful monday if not we can do it off the air because you got to finish this you can't you know get this far and not finish it uh commissioner kaisa i'm not sure if you have time to stay and finish the survey or if not i i appreciate you um uh, making this play dominique i wasn't prepared for it i wasn't either you did a great job i appreciate you (laughs) you you rolling with this and i'm gonna stay on until it's done dominique all right